Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I mean, how many times have you gone to facilitate something for a client that is a giant organization and then you're like in the basement of a Ramada and you're like, why are you punishing us? Yeah. Imagine the future (laughs) in the basement of the Ramada. It's like, I can imagine a future where I don't work here anymore. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my distinguished co-host, Rodney Evans. Hi, Aaron, and everyone else. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the company retreat, the offsite, the workshop. But before we check in at our Hilton Corporate Center, let's check in with each other. I do not miss the windowless ballroom with the no. like, walls that they move during the break. That have a cloth on them so yes. you can't stick anything on them like stickies. Or oh anything. my God. They're the enemy of the facilitator because it's like, I don't have any thumbtacks. It's not 1974. Why Bane is not my existence. in this room? Yeah. For sure. Fortunately, we don't have to go to those places for now because we're grounded. I know. Anywho, we're going to check in. Why? Why, you ask? So that we can get connected and present and hear and also learn more about each other and share airtime and start on time. And I'm going to think of reason number five by next week, maybe. Okay. So check-in question for today is, where in the world do you feel most creative? I don't even remember what I said the last time I was asked this, but I would say... I am one of those shower people and I'm also a walk person. So I need to like get the brain a little disconnected because I'm such a go, go, go type that I do need to like just zone out and have nothing to do. So that those would be solid answers for me. But really anything where I have nothing to do Mm -hmm. with my hands and my mind. (laughs) I love it. For me, my answer to this is always on a plane, which means that the last year has just been a real dearth of new yeah. ideas. I just, I always have this moment on planes where I'm like, should I watch this Katherine Heigl movie that I've seen seven times or should I try to make something? And when I opt for option B, I can just like bang things out and write and make assets and make decks and make speeches. Like I can just make things at an astonishing rate when I'm in the air. Like there's some combo pack of the compression of the air and the din of the noise and the boredom and irritation that I'm on a plane to begin with that is like a perfect storm for creativity for me. That's really funny. I was in a meeting yesterday with someone and she mentioned that like, it's the low grade, no authority supervision of the airplane cabin that actually makes her super productive. That's hilarious. These other people are sort of aware of me, but they have no authority over me. But that's enough. Like that's that's the right amount. 
like like she wants to like flex a little bit in front of those people and be like, I'm really doing something while you're watching Entourage again. Yeah, 27 dresses versus I'm designing a whole (laughs) new website. That's so funny. I feel like I have the opposite tendency where like I'll look at someone sitting next to me who's working on a dumb Excel spreadsheet and I'm like, that looks like a waste of time. You're wasting your time. You should be, yeah, watching this movie with me. (laughs) But that's probably just my own guilt. Anyway – Airplanes, when they're back, I'll I'll have new ideas for you guys. All right. <laughs> so uh, today's topic is, as I mentioned, the company retreat. So I guess I want to start by just asking you, and I think I know your answer, but for or against getting away from the office, getting away from the work? I actually feel very conflicted because we just had ours. So I am for because they are the right thing to do and they are a crucial part of an operating rhythm and like such a significant part of the heartbeat of a team or an organization. And I personally find them challenging. (laughs) And I always have, this is not specific to the ready. This has always been a thing where when everyone else is like, I can't wait for the all hands. I'm a little bit like, okay, let's take a, let's take a deep breath here. And we, we can talk more about why that is. Retreats for me are like summer camp. Like I don't look forward to it. I don't have a rosy glow in the rear view. When I'm in the experience, I'm like, this is meaningful and important. And everything around it feels just like, ugh, I wish we could just skip this part. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I feel like there's a wide distribution of possibilities with retreats. So like they can be the most terrible thing or they can be the best thing. And so it is like when you have a high standard deviation on an activity or a fruit or whatever it is, you sort of are taking your life in your hands when you do it. But if the goods are really good, you kind of just keep rolling the dice. And I think one of the things that's been true in my career is I think I've done, I think I've done close to like 45 offsites now, something like that for, mm-hmm. with my own companies. And I do feel like you kind of find all those edges, like mm-hmm. all the ways it can go wrong, all the ways it can go right. When you're in one of those, you know, if if like the waves are getting kind of rough, you're just like, this is that thing. And you just kind of ride it out. It feels less stressful to me now because of that than it ever has. And and yet, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a glutton for punishment. Like I really do. I love getting people together with more open space to just like see what's brewing, whether it's dramatic or whether it's creative. I just want to like see what's what would happen if we put these people together for three days in an exotic locale. Well, this will be an interesting conversation because no matter how many times I do it, I do not get to that place that you're at. (laughs) For me, large groups equal large stress no matter what role I'm playing. And it was that way at Deutsche Bank. It was that way at McChrystal Group where we did an all hands every six weeks. Right. And it is that way at the ready. So we'll unpack it. Unpack it all. And look, I I think – That's part of the reason this conversation is interesting and potentially interesting for our listeners is that regardless of your orientation and enjoyment of doing things like this, it's still really important. Right, right. It's It's still really valid and it's valuable time and it's a big investment, but it always, in my opinion, even done poorly, ends up paying returns usually. So like I'm in for, what's that expression? A penny and a pound on on this thing, even though it's, it's a little bit of a dental appointment. Well, maybe why don't we talk for a second about what they're good for and what they're not good for? So I feel like retreats are good for a lot of things. To me, the spaciousness of just having 
time together that's not so chunked up is such a luxury. It's so rare. And so just to be with some group of people where it's like we have potentially a half a day to really retrospect the last trimester. When do we get that? When do we have that time to just like sort of marinate in what's happened and make sense together and have things you know, have things not be so sort of railroaded. It's like, we can go on a tangent. We can explore (laughs) a thing. Like I think, especially for people like us who, and I mean the royal us at the ready, who are facilitators and who are big fans of meeting design and -hmm. sticking with design and being pretty disciplined in our meetings, you know, you get out of the habit of like, it's okay to meander a little bit. Sometimes there's really magical things on the path less taken. And that just doesn't usually happen in our standard 60 or 90 or 30 minute meeting. So I think retreats are great for topics and reflection and planning that can use the space to have some meandering, some some divergence and convergence, some, you know, big generation and then cohering and reduction. Like it's a nice place to do sort of the design loop. Mm -hmm. on anything. Yeah. And I think it's very, I don't know if it's binary, but there's definitely a big difference to me between what retreat is for if you are co-located every day, all day. And if you're a fully remote company, Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're Pixar and y'all live in the same building, 23 out of 24 hours, the offsite is a lot about the content. It's about like, what do we what do we not get to talk about? What do we not get to focus on? Or how can we build that kind of coherence and alignment that doesn't come in the natural flow? But it's a little bit less about human connection because you do have the drinking fountain and you do have the cafeteria and you do have walking the grounds and you have all these things that we don't have in a remote first company. Like, you know, at a very basic level, I think a retreat is a success if everybody gets on a plane and shows up. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, we're human beings and we're physical embodiments and like to just be together, to eat, to break bread, to like drink, to laugh, to sit by the fire. If that's all that happens in your remote company, it feels like not enough, but it probably is just enough, which is like you've restored connection in a way that you just can't do over a freaking Zoom. Yeah. And I think you make a good point in the sort of Pixar example I would say retreats are great for whatever the thing is that you don't get to do in your day to day, like whatever is missing. Like there were a lot of years at MG in the early days where our all hands was really about debating and discussing and refining our identity and yes. our service offering. Yes. And and same at the ready early years. It was like, what exactly do we do and not do? <laughs> what is inbounds and outbounds? Who are we? What are we about? And like, if that's the thing that doesn't happen in the course of day to day, use retreat. If you're a fully remote organization and you're very fractured and you work in a network way and you don't get to really connect as human beings, use retreat for that. If you're like sitting six inches away from each other and in the day-to-day, you tend to be mired in the tactics and you don't get to talk about the environment or about competitive landscape or about big picture strategy, use retreat for that. Like use it for whatever the thing is that your current OS is not designed to do in the day-to-day. I love that. And and in my former company, Undercurrent, what was interesting was in the early days, we didn't have a governance process. We didn't have a way of making agreements with each other. And so retreat was like this pressure valve release of like, 
there's drama and frustration and tension in the system. And now we got to fix it. Mm -hmm. And we have like these few days to fix it. And then it's back to work for another four months. And it became basically governance without structure. And then when we had governance, there was a period where for a few retreats, everybody was like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like we hadn't filled the gap with like the new thing that was missing. And I, I like that point that like it is a moving target. And as you fulfill different needs or as your sort of DNA changes, you have to tune in to that. One of my favorite retreats that I ever facilitated for a client, your undercurrent story reminds me, you were actually there for the first part of it. It was here. And we did like a little book club with them. And then I was with the leadership team for the afternoon. And basically, they were just like, we have all this wood to chop that just doesn't happen. And Uh the lack of clarity is just causing us so much pain. We just need like agreements and policies and rules. And We spent four hours. They generated a list of the things that were missing. (laughs) I broke them into pairs to work on the top five. We came back together and we spent two hours IDMing those things and just finishing them. And they were all like, oh my God, that was the best thing that ever happened. Like it's never happened that quick, et cetera. So to your point, to me, when we got into that and I sensed that that was the need, I was like, oh God, this seems so uninspiring and so boring and they're going to hate this even though it seems like what they're asking for. And actually, I was just like projecting my own needs around retreat onto them because we have a healthy governance process. For them, that was like the best thing that ever happened was to get the last, you know, as we as you and I have been calling it, like the last mile yes. of their OS taken care of in Ironed that out. retreat. Yeah. That's cool. So you never know, but you know, have the agenda meet like like anything else, have the agenda meet the need. <laughs> What about uh, rhythm? How do you feel about that? I have strong thoughts about rhythm, but like, what's the right frequency for retreating? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. To me, I need more frequent, spacious, and reflective time with people that I'm working really closely with than I do with a big group. So I want to have the big group thing sometimes just to have established connection and relationships. But like, for example, on like the course team, I'm like missing the fact that you and I and Allie haven't in this whole year been able to just like spend a day or two in a room Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. we like share this work and we share this project and we don't have time that feels spacious and creative. Um, So if it was pre-pandemic and we were traveling and we were trying to launch a product as a team, I would want to get together in person, like probably every six to eight weeks. Right, right. Whereas like big company, like I could easily live with twice a year. Yeah. And it is funny that as the company grows and you have more teams and more initiatives and more scale, there probably are these different rhythms that start to happen. Like when you're five people, retreat is retreat is retreat. You know what I mean? Like you're... you're, The initiative equals the circle equals the company. Right. right. And then, but then when you're, you know, if you're a thousand people, I could see it being that there are a lot of these micro rhythms within the system at a functional level or a unit level, Yeah. sometimes on a project or initiative level. And it is interesting, the idea you said, which I had not really ever thought of before, but this idea that like key projects that are long-term could have their own retreats, could have their own... You know, it's not just a day, but it is kind of a, it serves the same purpose. So I, I like that a lot. And I think for big company, you know, it does boil down to when does it hurt? And so I, 
I've done a lot of experimenting at our scale and scales similar to our scale, let's say in the like 15 to 100 people range. And it feels like, you know, three months, like 12 weeks for the whole group is too fast. We haven't quite hit a boiling point. And then six months is too long. Like Mm -hmm. people that were miscommunicating or have lost connection or are frustrated, like they're just going to, they're going to lose their shit. Mm -hmm. And so we actually have to be like, in this in between. That's why the ready has settled on the four month rhythm because 16 weeks is long enough to do a hard thing. And it's long enough to build up some data and to like, you know, get, get going. But it's also not so long that if you are frustrated about something, or you are sensing something or missing something, that it's not going to kill you, you can be like, ah, it's, you know, another four weeks, by the time you get around to being mad about something or missing something or craving something, it's like another four weeks, and then we're back at it together. So I do feel like that's good for at least for our size of a system. But yeah, as you get bigger, you know, it is it's every six months, it's once a year, it's whatever you can do. But I think to your point, you pepper that with the more local rhythms that are more frequent. Yeah, and that can be quite restorative. So we've talked a little bit about how to think about doing these and what retreats are good for what should we not do when we come together? (laughs) In your opinion? I mean, a couple things come to mind right away. One of them, which is the cardinal sin of retreat to me, is presenting to each other for <laughs> I a long you're time. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My least favorite thing is like, so let's all get working on our decks. I'm like, I'm not coming. <laughs> yeah, no. And and especially and you know how we do ours at the ready, everybody gets, I think, three minutes or five minutes. But like the the meetings I'd go to sometimes for client meetings, and it's like, all right, we're gonna hear from finance now for 90 minutes. Yep. And then, you know, it's just like, oh my God. Things that could be recorded, things that could be written down, things that nobody cares about. And I think the reason that we do it is actually because we're afraid of what it would look like if we didn't have programming. I think that's part of it for sure. The other thing that I hear a lot, which is just like such a trapping of traditional hierarchies, is it's everybody's opportunity to get visibility. So when I've pushed back on the presenting rodeo and like, oh God, can we not spend one full day out of a two-day agenda just listening to -to back-to-back presentations? The response I always get is like, well, this is an important moment for the team to be able to showcase their accomplishments in front of leadership. Yes. Yes. Which everything about that I hate. Yeah. Everything about it is the worst. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, well, if like, if I can't get you off of that principle, I guess go nuts, but like, that's a terrible waste of time for that team and for the leaders who have to sit there and be like, okay, great job finance. Thank you. It's like, you're not saying in those presentations, anything that the people who need to know don't already know. So it really is just performative. And the easy, easy hack is have any team that needs to be heard record a loom with their stuff, distribute that to leadership or whoever else needs to hear it, and then do a one-hour circle of appreciation at the retreat and never talk about it again. Yeah, why not? It's just like let people talk, let them appreciate whatever they appreciate and just move on. Or build appreciation into your culture so that we don't have to one time a year put on a show (laughs) so we can get applause and validation. Right. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's like if leaders just like listened and said thank you and read shit that finance made, maybe we wouldn't have to all be subjected to this. 100%. So that's definitely the cardinal sin. Uh-huh. The the other one that that 
we're all guilty of, that the ready is guilty of, et cetera, is to overprogram and to bite off more than we can chew. Because to your point originally about spaciousness, I, I truly believe, I used to think you should program 50% of what you think you need, like how much time you have. I actually now think it's 15%. Yeah, I think that's... I think that what <laughs> that you should do right is <laughs> you should write up enough content to fill 15% of the time. Yeah. And that's all you should hope to get done. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do think like we pack it so tight that we just exhaust people and it borders on cult initiation, where it's just like, we're going to wear these fuckers down until at midnight after the fourth drink, everybody's just like, I don't know. I don't know who I am anymore. I work here. (laughs) It's like a Tony Robbins seminar where it's like, you have to actually completely decouple from your ego as part of this experience. When you collapse, (laughs) then we know we've got you. (laughs) to be reprogrammed yeah yeah so i think that's definitely one and then i you know this is a little bit of a privileged take because we work in a business that has good margin and we manage our finances correctly but i think that it's important to do it right and do less if you can't afford to do it right i i think that when you kind of lowball every aspect of it and the food sucks and the lodging sucks and the space sucks and there's no light and it's long it's just it's not an escape. And I think people need an escape. And so if you can only afford a day, do a great day. Like do something that can just like really get everybody out of their own heads a little bit and enjoy some of the sweeter things. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you gone to facilitate something for a client that is a giant organization and then you're like in the basement of a Ramada and you're like, why are you punishing us? Yeah. Imagine the future in the basement of the Ramada. It's like, I can imagine a future where I don't work here anymore. I can imagine a future where this horrible experience is over and I never see you again. Yeah. So I do, I do believe in that. And that's where like, and you know this, but like, I, you know, I will spend money. Yes. To get us out of our own heads. And it's just like, eh, it's just worth it. Life's too short. Yeah. The other thing I would add, which is also potentially controversial, but I'm, Ooh, you know good. what, I'm going to stand very firm on this and you, nice. everybody out there can disagree with me. Be very cautious, wary, thoughtful about doing quote unquote team building and just like interpersonal work at retreat. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like anything else that we talk about in organizational design, change happens inside of the work. If we're coworkers, our relationship happens inside of our work. It is not happening. We're not just friends. We didn't meet, you know, at a golf course. And so if your sense is that there's a lack of connection or a lack of coherence or a lack of relational health, don't make that be the activity. Like we're going to fix relationships is not an activity that anybody wants to do at retreat. Don't right. do it. Think about what we could do together experientially that might help with whatever the tension is that we're feeling. So like, are we going to build a house together? Are we going to cook a meal together? Are we going to learn a thing together? Like, We can work on our relationship or our dynamic or whatever inside of the thing. But like, I never again need to go to a retreat in my life where there is a facilitator who's like, let's just really like get the feelings out there. Let's do trust falls. Let's just do trust falls. It's like, it's y'all, it's why everybody hates retreats and thinks they're a waste of time is because too many of us have had the experience of 
forced intimacy that actually created more interpersonal tension because we left the room and we're like, oh, that felt like emotional manipulation, not like something real. So I'm all for doing the connecting and relational work at retreat, but do it through the vehicle of work, which is why we're there. Do you remember when we borderline broke into that escape room? Yeah, like that is a great example. Like that was relationship building at its finest. Yes. So here's the story. We were in another city. What city were we in? Was that Charleston? It was Charleston. And we had scheduled a lovely dinner. And then we had scheduled after the dinner an escape room for everyone to go to because that's the sort of programming that we like to do. And the dinner ran long. So long. so long, like it, because it was a very nice dinner, but also because it was, you know, possibly not perfectly operational. And so over the course of the dinner, everyone started to worry and several people bailed on the escape room. They're like, we're not going to leave the dinner in order to go do it. Yes. We left and we were very, very late to the appointment and our appointment was the last one of the night. And so we got there and it was closed. Yes. And we all sat. It's raining. It's pouring we, rain. We walked there in the pouring rain. And I remember you and I were sitting next to each other at dinner and like we're watching the time tick by and Sarah's called and they've said like, if it you don't stressful. get there in the next 15 minutes, you're done. We still didn't leave the table for like 45 minutes. And you and I were like, <laughs> let's just walk over there and see. And let's we walked in like ankle deep rainwater to this place. We're all soaking wet and like huddled in the street level vestibule because the place yes. is closed. Yes. There are about eight to 10 of us. And the the woman that owns the facility happenstance is literally leaving the door to lock up and we, we catch her. We're all around her. And the group is just like, we want to do this. She's like, sorry. And we're very, you know, forgiving and permissive. So nice. We're like, it's totally our fault. We're it's sorry. Totally our fault. Yeah. And yeah. then of course we're all salespeople and the sales engine starts to kick in. So we sort of, we work it to the point where she's like, I guess I'll reopen the facility and call back the staff. <laughs> Do you remember the question that actually turned her? No, what it, was it? I remember it was someone Sam said Sam Sparling Sam, yes. goes, can you just tell us what it's like? And she was like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. And she just like gets her keys out. She's like, come in. It's fine. I'll do I'll do it for you. Let me call yes. my wife and tell her I'm going to be late. Which as a positive psychologist, Sam <laughs> asked a brilliant question. It. Because if you ask someone who loves what they do about their thing, it's game over. Totally. Anyway, so we went in. We had drinks. We we bought like everything they had to sell. Like I think I paid like a $500 tip on the, on the alcohol. I think you like, did. We celebrated their business and then we went in and we beat the shit out of this escape room. And then and then walking out, everybody was on such a high because we had not only had we defeated the puzzle, but we had as a team like solved this problem of we couldn't get in. It was too late. It was like we had overcome a hardship together. Yes. And that did more for connection than 50 hours of therapy would have done. Yes. And also because I've done other escape rooms with other teams in my life, there's always the people on the team who are like a little bit cynical and who didn't really want to be there and who are like, this is stupid (laughs) and this is for kids. By the time we broke into that escape room, every person there was like, we are going to fucking win this. And we're, (laughs) this is going to be the best experience of our lives. And like, you know, some people are a little bit drunk, but like it's late, you know, we didn't get in there until probably 10, but like at that point we're about it. That's how you do relationship work at a retreat, not by sitting in a 
fluorescent lit room staring at each other and talking about your relationship with your dad. You do it by talking a sweet person into reopening their business late at night and then dominating. By the time we got in there, we were like, what's the record for this room? Yes. We need to beat it. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I think that it's a great example, but I'm just a big fan of activity-based things, but like activities that feel inclusive. Like nobody wants to go to the thing where, you know, we're going to do something that half of the group is just going to be like, this is my nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard. And and I it think, is hard. you know, you, you'll, you'll feel your way out to it. Totally. So I want to change gears now. And that was a great transition point because I want to talk more about the ready because we just had a retreat and we had an unusual retreat we and did. several people have been tweeting at us to talk about it. Yes. So I wanted to make some time and space for that. So I'm not sure where to begin. What do you think is the is the entry point here? Probably frustration with remote retreats for a year? Yeah. So, you know, the Ready as a team holds retreat very dear. And I think part of that is because you, Aaron, hold it very dear. And it's sort of always like, I feel like you're a child at Christmas about retreat. Like, yes. I feel like you always love planning them. You love going to them. Like it's really like a very important thing to you. And I think that shows up culturally. And then also because we work in very, very small teams, usually of two or three, we don't get very much time together generally as a system. And we get almost no time together in person. This is like it for the year. And now we are a full year into none of that. It's a lot of new members who we've never met in person and it's a pandemic and everybody's just like itchy and grumpy and we all are sick of being on Zoom all day and we're like, how are we going to make this retreat not feel like just more of the same shit that everybody is sick of and also meet the need of really missing each other and really missing having these nice experiences together that we all kind of draw from in the intervening time when we're slogging it out at client sites. Yeah. And it's so painful. I mean, no exaggeration. I hadn't missed an in-person retreat in like 11 years. Wow. Like I'd gone sick. I'd gone like in place of going to other people's weddings. Like it it was the holiest of holies. I'm glad you didn't go in place of going to your wedding. I feel yeah. like I'm glad you <laughs> specified. You were like, I did not miss my own nuptials. My wedding kind of was a retreat, to be honest. <laughs> like, sure. I think like 90% of the company came. Anyway, so I think that it was very, very painful. And, the you know, the first time is novel. And the second time you kind of figure out how to do a remote retreat in a way that makes sense. By the way, not to make a whole nother episode out of this, but word to the wise, the, the biggest secret to remote retreat is fewer hours more days. So like dial it back and spread it out so that you can stay sane. But this time going into it, I was just like, you know what? Enough is enough. Like I can't do another one like that. I'm craving connection. A lot of these people have never met in person. What can we do? And then a company that we use called Loom mentioned, one of their co-founders mentioned online that they were going to do an Oculus retreat. And I was like, yes, that's what we need to do. And so Sarah and I, Sarah, who works with both of us, started to set out on the adventure of acquiring 20 plus Oculuses in the late stages of a pandemic, which as it turns out is super easy, not easy, because first of all, when there's nothing to do, everybody plays video games. And second of all, supply chains are deeply fucked. Yes. And so it was just like an incredible slog. She's 
amazing. And so she did ultimately find them. We bought all the remaining oculi on Earth. And and we set about the process of planning to have a retreat that would be at least in part in virtual reality. So when you set out on this quest, you and Sarah, what were you hoping for? And how did that line up to what actually happened? Well, initially, my thought was like, how much can we be in the same space? And how much can we bring play to it? Because frankly, like, the thing I was craving most was some fun. It's just been so heavy. You know, I was just like, can we be playful? And it's hard to do. So I was hoping for play. And I was hoping to be in space together. And I had no idea it was going to work. And in fact, I would say going into it, before I got it, I was terrified that it wouldn't even be possible that like the options would suck. Mm -hmm. And after I got it and learned how to use it, I was terrified that it would be a tech support shit show, that it would just be like a whole week of people being mad at me because they can't make it work. But instead, it worked really well. And part of that is because we did a lot of beta testing. So we, you know, Sarah and myself, and at one point, I think Nelia, we got on like every group collaboration app in the app store for Oculus Quest. And there are many. Mm -hmm. And some of them make you want to barf. And some of them are really hard to use. And some of them have ridiculous costumes. I mean, I remember Sarah and I went into one where she was like, in a superhero costume that was very suggestive. And she's like, I didn't pick this. And I was like, yeah, that's this is not going to work. Like, this is NSFW. So we had lots of funny experiences like that. And then we finally landed on Spatial, which is an app that lets you create an avatar that, while a little bit creepy, creepy. looks a lot like you. Like, you can upload your own face Mm -hmm. and your own identity. And then allows you to use things like sticky notes and typing and voice transcription and create and move objects and move around the room. And it was, I would characterize it as just good enough. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't like, this is the future. We should do all of our meetings in here. But it was like, I can walk over to someone and hear them better when I'm close to them and have a conversation. I can put a thought on the board. Like it was just enough. And that allowed us to do like a half an hour a day in space together which to me felt like a great relief. Yeah. And I would say for people who decide that they're going to experiment with something like this, the the thing that you're trading off is totally going to be efficiency. But like what you're getting is a lot of goofiness. So if you're going to try to be the facilitator and like get people to do a thing when they're in spatial or comparable app for the first time, you're going to probably get really annoyed. Like I'm sure Aaron, there were moments where you were like, could you guys stop making fucking giant martinis and putting them in front of each other? Like I get it. (laughs) It's not, you know what I mean? But like, but also that was part of the fun of it was that even though we were supposed to be making sticky notes, every time someone learned how to do a new thing in spatial, like, you know, draw a jail around someone, we all (laughs) were like completely distracted and goofing off. But like that feels totally worth the price of admission to me because we all know how to make sticky notes and do a check-in round. But what we are missing is silliness. And it's really hard to have silliness in Zoom. It's really hard. It's really hard to have silliness in any other virtual setting. But when you're in a room and you can see people and they look funny and their arms are wiggling funny and you can Uh make giant dogs, I felt like I was in middle school in a good way. Yes. Yes. You know? When you realize that when you clap that sparkles come out. 
And then everyone stops listening because everyone's watching the sparkles. It's so fun. Yeah, it's magic. And I think for a lot of people, we saw video and photos of their family members using it, grandparents using it, people that like never thought they'd live to see virtual reality experiencing it. And it was just like, yeah, there was some magic in it, which I really appreciated. And then all we really did was some check-ins and some checkouts and the occasional breakout in that virtual space. Otherwise, we were in Zoom, we were in phone calls, we were in documents. And then at the end of a couple days and in, in breaks, people played games together. There was ping pong, there was golf. I mean, we had eight or nine people on a driving range together. We had people playing, you know, Beat Saber and like really going for it, getting super aggressive and competitive about what they could get done. So yeah, it was the first time that I've seen the group really play games together in a decentralized way. And my favorite part about it the whole time was like, we have these forever now. So like, technically, if you want to, you could just be like, hey, Will, let's jump on and play some table tennis during our one on one instead of staring at each other for the 90th time of the day in Zoom. And also, I think for folks who want to experiment with something like this, word to the wise, I think you and Sarah were very smart to like make it something light because there were people who were more and less comfortable and more had more and less facility. And so it wasn't something that sort of separated the wheat from the chaff of people who were like tech savvy versus people who weren't. It was like everybody could fully participate. And the other thing that I thought was really cool and was just an added benefit is because we do have so many new members and in a more structured place that we're all together, like dynamics of tenure and existing relationships and things like that tend to crop up. In this situation, it was like, I saw a bunch of people who were newer and who were just about it be like, let's go do this in a way that doesn't always happen at in-person retreats where people are sort of looking at those who have been around being like, where are they going to dinner? Like, where is that? What's the thing? What's the after party, et cetera, et cetera. This was just much more of like, we have a 15 minute break. We are playing Beat Saber. Who's with me? And people being like, I am. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is dope. Yeah, that's very, very cool. And I guess the last thing I'll talk about is cost. So one of the main hesitations I think a lot of groups have about stuff like this is technology is expensive. And so, and I think they were, I mean, these were $300 a piece. But the way I looked at it was in a real world scenario, I would spend more than that on each person's plane ticket. And so it was like, here's a thing that is less than a plane ticket, gives us that in-person sensation that the plane ticket would have gotten us and lasts for a long time. So it's like, how do I amortize the $300 over the next five years? If people keep using them even a little bit, it's like a no brainer. Look, we've easily spent that total cost on a dinner. Oh, God, yes. So and that, you know, that that was one lovely three hour experience. This is something that will continue giving. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, you talk about appreciation, but like, it's fun to get stuff in the mail. It's fun to like open up a box and have someone get you something that you wouldn't get for yourself. So I think it it checked a lot of a lot of those, you know, boxes for me. And I think in the end, I'm glad we didn't overdo it. But I'm very glad that we did do it. And I'm hoping that we only have to do it at most one more time, because if I can't get in a room with you all, I'm going to lose my shit. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's tough. It's really tough. But hopefully, what what do you think? When's our next one? Spring and then fall? Fall? 
Maybe fall, fall. Yeah, fall. I'm taking us to the moon. Fall, it's happening. Like, yeah, Falls we're on doing Mars. something Retreat crazy. On Mars. Yeah, I'm doing something extreme. So stay tuned for that episode in fall. Is that going to be retreat the retreat at sea that I drunkenly pitched in New Orleans once? It could be. It's yes. going to be something. It's going to be something special. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. If you like what you're hearing, a review would mean a ton to us. Also, we've gotten a bunch of questions recently about how we do stuff at the ready, which we do talk about on this podcast and also often don't talk about. So if there's anything in particular that you're interested in, just uh, let us know and we will try to cover it on this show. You got it. Quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work and buy their oculuses. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. <laughs> <laughs>